0: A chapter of the Gospel Coalition. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for those of you who are just joining us. Many of us have been here since um, a very early hour in the morning, uh, listening to wonderful preaching of God's Word, uh, participating in some workshops. We have had just a really pleasant uh, and and edifying and encouraging, uh, just a sweet time together. We thank the Lord for that, and we're excited for. What the Lord has in store for this evening as well. Part of what we wanted to do in our conference was to invite uh, other pastors from other regions that are doing either the Gospel Coalition in their region, this is in the, they have their own chapter like we do, an Ontario chapter, or they're doing something like it uh, because so often in our country we hear a lot more uh, about the news from the south of us than we do about the news going east and west. And we love the idea of hearing what God is doing in Canada. So we've incur- invited uh, several brothers to come, and uh, brothers, if you could come now, the guys that are sitting on the panel, if you don't know if you're on a panel, sit down, um, you're not. Uh, the people who know that they're on this panel are, are they're here. And part of what we want to talk about tonight is what the Lord is doing in the country and uh, the place of gospel cooperation uh, my name is Paul Martin. I'm the chairman of the Gospel Coalition Ontario chapter. Uh, on our panel, please, you can be seated, brothers. It's very formal. Uh, Yannick uh, Etier is our uh, representative from Quebec. John Mahaffey from uh, here in Ontario. Clint Humphrey next to him from Calgary, Alberta. None of these men know li- or like how to sit. They don't know how to sit. Uh, Steve Bray uh, from Newfoundland rep- representing Atlantic. John Newfeld from Back to the Bible. He represents the entire country. Our good friend, uh, our good friend, Dr. Don Carson, who is uh, our keynote speaker here, is uh, helping us at the conference, and also a Canadian, um, teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. A good friend of us, and so we're thankful for all you brothers. Please, brothers, have a seat, and I will fire off some questions for you. Well, I'm going to start by asking uh, Dr. Carson just. On a a general scope, um, the Lord has given you great opportunities with the Gospel Coalition in the U.S., as well as traveling across the globe many times, speaking in many different places and seeing the growth of the church worldwide. Um, What are just some, uh, maybe what we would call the biggest obstacles to good gospel cooperation between churches?
1: They vary a little bit from country to country. Um, but in no particular order of priority. Um, number one, lack of clarity as to what the gospel is. Um, if, if there's lack of clarity, then it's hard to uncover the proper ground for cooperating and for working together. Uh, number two, a kind of um, tepid fear, uh, f- a fear that somebody else is going to take over my patch. Um, if you're minister of a church, of 50 people, and somebody else is minister of a church of 150 people, and you start working together, will some of my 50 go over and join his 150? And so, so you can get a kind of um, uh, narrow protectionism, um, which, which doesn't help at all, uh, because after all, it's Christ's church, and we want the glory of God and the, the good of his people everywhere. Uh, sometimes it's... Um, some people sort of specialize in, in, in um, where they disagree... Um, uh, and indeed there is a place for discerning where you disagree and being able to talk about it but for some people if they have a conversation with another believer within 30 seconds if they're in charge of the conversation they'll be honing in on the points of difference instead of honing in on the points of commonality Um, now there's a place for talking about the differences there really is but it shouldn't be the first recourse Paul can distinguish between what, uh, what are sometimes called disputable matters. One man views one day above another, one man views every day the same. Let each be fully persuaded in his own mind. He doesn't say you're both wrong or tell them what the answer is. He says, Be fully persuaded in your own mind and get on with life. Whereas there are other things where he says, If anybody preach any other gospel than this, um, they're anathema, they're damned. So it really is important somewhere along the line to be able to distinguish a hierarchy of truths. That is to say, truth is truth, regardless of where it stands in the hierarchy, but some truth means the loss of it uh, issues in damnation. Whereas there are other truths where the Bible itself insists that there may be legitimate division of opinion for one reason or another, and you're free to, be, um, to, to think your own way, so long as you're not trying to impose it on everybody. Let each be fully persuaded in his own mind. And, and so it's necessary to distinguish very carefully between what are sometimes called distinct, um, disputable matters and non-disputable matters. And that takes a certain kind of biblical commitment and maturity and so on. Um, so, there are a lot of things of that order. Then there are sometimes denominational differences with historic backgrounds. Um, we, we, we sometimes forget that there was a time when, when pato baptists uh, drowned Baptists, thinking if they wanted lots of water, they could have it. Um, whereas today, for most of us, even though denominationally we're pretty committed on one side of that divide or another, um, yet at the same time, I don't think there's anybody in this room would say you've got to believe one or the other in order to be saved, Um, So it's become, for historic reasons, a a disputable matter. At the organizational level of the local church, you've got to decide one way or another. Um, If you don't decide, you have, in fact, decided. Um, But but it's not the sort of thing where persecution is involved or anything of that order today. So sometimes where you are in the historical flow of perception of what is really, really important changes with time as well. All of those things uh, factor in on these matters. Which is another way of saying, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to have such a firm and growing grasp of Scripture that you see what the gospel is, what are the non-negotiable lines, and and to work hard at building them up in in our most holy faith. And then developing structures where everything else can be talked about, but lovingly.
0: John Mahaffey, you have pastored, uh, I think, the longest of all of us here. In the entire room as we surveyed the room this morning. Uh, So, brother, as you think about, you've pastored in Toronto, you've pastored in Hamilton, um, you've church planted overseas, been a missionary overseas, but just thinking about the Ontario context, even historically, just what you've observed, if you could speak to that, um, maybe not what's happened in the past that has hindered gospel cooperation, but just for this context, what do you see as most needed uh, for churches to work together for the sake of the gospel.
2: Thanks for that comment about my age. Uh, I, I remember when I first uh, came to pastor in Toronto that there was a large group of people in the church who felt that I was too young to be the pastor of the church. I was 33 at the time. And uh, strangely, no one says that anymore. So, uh, um, you know, there's been a lot of change in Ontario over the years. And, um, uh, when I think back to my early pastoral days in the early '90s, it, it was there was a lot of us and them, in terms of how we viewed each each other. Some of the things that Don has talked about—the whole protectionism piece—and um, and I think even the doctrinal distinctive thing was was held up so high that it it hindered that kind of uh, cooperation and openness in the willingness to meet and fellowship and pray together and so on. Um, I don't think that those distinctives per se are, are are no longer exist. They still do. But there has been, I, I've sensed in the last number of years, a maturing so that we are, we're understanding that those things, there is so much that we have in common. And so I've, I've been encouraged. Uh, I think even brothers that I've known in the past who I really did not associate much with them and they with me um, that's really changed, and I, I think if I can just sort of talk about what's happened with TGC here, uh, even when we had our first conference back in 2009, there were still barriers that that existed then that I don't sense so much now. I think uh, I think that I think the TGCs had an incredible influence um, to to break down a lot of those barriers and to help us see the the common thing that we have in the, go- the gospel. So I, I, I see much more cooperation today and, uh, and I've been thrilled just in terms of what's been happening here and the, you know, the small leadership team that we, that we have, the various denominations that are involved, the backgrounds of guys. I, you know I can, I can remember times when if you went to this theological school as opposed to this theological school, you hardly associated with each other or you had all kinds of preconceived ideas about what that guy believed because he graduated from that school. I don't sense that today, and I, I, I think that's I think that's a work of work of the Spirit, where we're much more open to each other, and um, I think it's 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 a healthy cooperation that is starting to develop. And just the fact that we're all sitting here, we're starting to see not just in our own region but across the land some of those barriers broken down, and it might it might pertain to the fact the fact that we no longer feel like we're a majority in the nation anymore. As, uh, as Christendom has shrunk, so to, so to speak, we're realizing we've got to be united together with each other for the common cause of the gospel.
0: That's great. I, so, Yannick, I want to speak, um, coming from Quebec, yes. how does the gospel change the way you look at the rest of Canada?
3: Good question. Um, I think that the main thing that changed for me first was uh, getting to know the Lord, uh, was that my identity is in Christ, and that changes everything. It changes everything in the church. I was teaching to the church a few weeks ago and telling the church that I don't understand why couples, married couples, will, would hang out only with married couples, and celibate would not, because they, we, we redefine our identity about, around being married and not being in Christ. And this is supposed to be teared down in the church. Uh, so, so when I take this and I, I, I bring it back in my heart to the way I, I look at the rest of Canada, it changes the same thing. I have more in common with any Christian around the world than with uh, my, my neighbor who is not Christian. So, so this is one thing that changed tremendously for me and I, I try to teach this in the church at the same time, so that that 's for the same re- for that same reason, I cannot understand a church that would be built around one generation because this would uh, weaken the preaching or the, the the showing out of the gospel uh, if we would be doing that so So I think that the gospel commands us to to reach out to the rest of Canada and move out and with christendom uh, being attacked so aggressively, I think that uh, we 're going to be at the same place, whereas maybe ten years ago in Quebec, uh, we sensed we sensed that we we were um, a strange land for Christianity. Uh, you need to understand that in Quebec and, and I understand that more and more it's it's being the case in the rest of Canada, but I can approach any kids. Uh, who are eight or nine years, and they won't know the difference between Muhammad or Jesus. They they don't have a clue. Uh, they never had a Bible in their hand. They don't know a thing about that. And that's been like that for at least twenty years. So, so that's that's the way it was. Christendom is being attacked in the rest of America and North America. So I think that the differences in our experience of Christianity. Will uh, uh, grow smaller and smaller, so th- we will have opportunities to reach out and help each other even more. Then, I don't know if, it, if that helps.
0: That's very helpful. I might want to come back to something, but I want to get sure. some of these brothers in here as well. Clint, we'll go to you and uh, the Wild West, Calgary, um, the land of the cowboy, uh, <laughs> the man's man. Don't come in my backyard. I don't know, I guess I ran out of lame <laughs> metaphors, but uh. Yeah, I feel much better with all that uh, Toronto I, bias. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, Sorry, folks.
0: What, what, what I'm curious about is what are you seeing in Calgary? Can churches work together, or is this there is there a kind of my you know generalized, generalizing? There's this independent streak. Um, we've talked about that a little, but what do you see in Calgary?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the first thing I think as far as distinctives is in footwear. Um, I think I'm the only one with <laughs> cowboy boots here, but I'll just. But, but that distinctive aside, um, what, one of the things that, that we've seen, John made the comment about the maturing of, of kind of the church culture in Ontario. What I would see is on the prairies, you have a little bit the reverse, where you actually have a little bit of a collapsing and weakening of the older Bible Belt generation. And so then the Bible college movement and uh, the denominations that were started by a lot of the pioneers uh, that came west, they are, they are in decline, they are struggling, and they're, they're actually struggling to hold on to the gospel. So in light of that, what we see is the Spirit of God raising up people with a burden for the gospel, and then they are seeking out resources, help, associations, wherever they can get them. And if that means then that they are getting connections into the U.S. with some of the great resources there, Gospel Coalition and others, then they're doing that. But also, I, I see there's also a desire to work together, uh, whether regionally in Alberta, across the prairies, but also to be able to go hand-in-hand hand with our brothers across, brothers and sisters across Canada. And as has been said, I mean, we see the rapidity of the decline Again, so called Bible Belt, but we see the rapidity of the decline in the culture. And so then all of us are scrambling, trying to encourage one another with a common witness. And so I think more than there has been in a long time, there is actually a desire in the individualistic, yeah, John Wayne style Wild West to actually work together. And so I'm very encouraged.
0: Steve Bray is kind of the grandfather of this group uh, as when it comes to conferences. Uh, so, Steve, uh, first concert conference was five years ago in Atlantic? Six? Seven? 2011. 2011. Would anybody like to tell me how long ago that was? Four years ago. Okay, thank you. Um, so, Brother... Uh, you've had some success in organizing that conference. I've been there. I've um, participated in it. It's been remarkable to me to see the reach in the Atlantic region that TGC Atlantic has had. This isn't an advertisement for TGC, but uh, just under that banner, the Lord's done some really remarkable things. Um, Maybe you could speak to, you know, what benefit, what, what service are you bringing to pastors in Atlantic Canada through just, you know, Getting pastors together, bringing some speakers in, creating fellowship, what is that doing for the Christians in Atlantic Canada?
5: Well, for us, I think in listening to what everybody has said, it is also like that in Atlantic Canada where there's been two extremes for us so the, the there's a crop of pastors that are very young, fresh at a Bible college, um, been trained either in two extremes of schools, either extreme fundamentalism and conservatism, or extreme liberalism. But the great thing about the internet, podcasting, all these things, has been the exposure to a number of the guys that we all hold in common, one of whom is on our panel. Um, And so really what drove us in Atlantic Canada was there's all these guys reading and studying and learning, but they didn't have a safe place to gather together and hear good preaching and teaching And know that it was safe to ask questions, to struggle, to say, what about, how come, if I do this, what does that look like? And so, to our surprise, it it drew in a lot of younger pastors, and then even a lot of older pastors that were willing to say, something's wrong. And so, our biggest desire was to gather them together in a safe place, try and resource them as, as well as possible. And then allow them to know, because in our region, which is probably different than most, is we're not dealing with a province. We're dealing with four provinces. So there's a whole, each province has its own culture and its own dynamic and its own ebbs and flow. And, but getting them all together in their region to let them know that, A, hey, they're not alone, that a lot of them have the same questions. So I have this theology, how do I apply it to real life when I go home? Uh, how do I preach this, and then what happens when people respond to it, which then enhanced the ability for people to call others. And what we've found from our yearly conference is people in each province now are doing clusters, they're getting together, there's more, there's more coffees happening. And then we've seen the complete breakdown of denominationalism. And I have, you know, I have nothing but to say I'm so thankful to God for that. Um, in Atlantic Canada, where everything is traditionally religious, and, and your loyalty is often everything, to see loyalty to Christ, to the Word of God, and to the gospel, start to trump certain traditions, and where people can have honest conversations, but are actually saying, no, do you know Jesus? And defining our terms. I think the biggest thing that came out of our conferences we've done so far is we use a lot of church language, and when I say saved, converted, born again, whatever, I know what I mean, but everybody out there applies it to how they mean it. And we, we had to get back to the basics of defining our terminology. And when we did, we found out, wow, we had this thing and we had gotten way off course. And so it really centered us in Atlantic Canada. It has been really and truly my love of the church, but seeing God work in Atlantic Canada has just been phenomenally a blessing, and um, and so equipping, having a safe place, resourcing, and networking.
0: I think if you have friends in Atlantic Canada that are looking for churches, you need to grab Steve. That's partly why he's here. Uh, Steve recently left. Um, well, I'll just say, a very comfortable church in Prince Edward Island to uh, return to St. John's, Newfoundland, to uh, w- very small um, a church that's really. It's doing great it's a wonderful church I've been there as well I'm blessed to be there and see what God is doing there Uh, but that brother is just connecting people and so if you have friends in Atlanta Canada that need to get connected Steve is the man you need to speak with Uh, one question I get asked a fair bit and I'm going to ask Dr. Carson to answer it is uh, this is TGC an attempt at another denomination is it the new denomination Again, we're not advertising TGC, but I think just under that banner of these gospel cooperative movements. Maybe Don, if you could speak to that. Um, how is how is TGC any different than a denomination?
1: We are not a denomination. We do not want to become a denomination. We will not become a denomination. Uh, not because we despise denominations, but because we're doing something a little different. In a denomination. Um, there will necessarily be more church order, uh, order as to how, for example, to conduct the Lord's table, order as to the place and function of baptism. Um, in in a, the majority of evangelical denominations, there will also be some sort of protocol for discipline. Uh, what happens when somebody goes off the rails morally or some other way? Um, what, what steps are taken to bring about discipline in the church? How does that work? Um, and so, so it is what mathematicians call a boundary set. That is everything on the inside is inside the boundary and outside, um, they're outside the boundary, but, the, but it's a bounded set, do you see? Whereas TGC is what is called in set theory, a center bounded set. In other words, we don't worry too much about where the margins are, we define the center pretty tightly. So, if you go to our website and you hit the tab that says somewhere along the line, foundation documents, you'll find two documents, our statement of faith and our theological vision of ministry. And everybody on our council, that's about 55 people, they have to sign on to that without mental reservations. That is the Gospel Coalition, period. That's it. That's the only way you can be a member of the Gospel Coalition, to be a member of the council. But on the other hand, we have something like 8,000 churches that want to align with us in one fashion or another, We can't vet them. We don't have the staff. We're not a denomination. We have Baptists and Paedo-Baptists. We have a variety of denominations and other backgrounds and this sort of thing. What holds us together is our commitment to the common understanding of what the gospel is, what scripture is, that statement of faith is, a theological vision of ministry. And then beyond that, you can no more become a member of TGC than you can become a member of Christianity today. It's not the sort of thing with a boundary. And, and so, we then would help others to start TGC-type relationships and functions and so on elsewhere. But if some church says it's a TGC church, it's really saying they, they align with us. They, they like our statement of faith. They, they, they feel with us. They pray with us. They, they, they identify with us. Um, but we're not a set whereby we can discipline them. The only people we can discipline are the people on the council. So, we're a group that is trying to help many churches, many denominations, to recover biblical fundamentals, Um, not only um, the the things that are mentioned in our statement of faith, but the centrality of expository ministry, evangelism that is uh, bold and and courageous, uh, the mentoring of a new generation. Those are all our values that are built right into us. Um, But at the end of the day, we're not a denomination. Now, it has to be said that some denominations have come to us and asked if they could adopt our statement of faith. And we said, God bless you, go right ahead. And others are beginning to develop some of their own internal mentoring systems in various corners of the world based on our mentoring systems. That's fine. If we can influence things uh, one way or another, we're happy to do so. But at the same time, we are not a denomination. We're a parachurch organization, but led by pastors of churches. That's the irony of the whole thing. We're, we're, we're the, the council by statute has to be 90% senior pastors. Not theologians, senior pastors. Senior pastors ask different questions from what theologians commonly ask. And, and so, in that sense, we're a church-driven, parachurch organization to help churches. And within that framework, to help churches do evangelism, to do better expository preaching, and, 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 and so on. Does, does that help at all? So, are you a denomination? <laughs> <laughs> But well, I bet he wishes I'd really, you know, make it a little clearer.
0: Once you started the math, Don, I was just. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I saw that when you couldn't subtract two thousand fifteen and two thousand.
0: Uh, John Newfeld, I'm going to ask you this question, but I'd be eager for you, other brothers, to chime in as well. Um, you know, we talk about these maybe secondary issues, um, Romans, in the spirit of Romans 14, where, where the, the passage Don is quoting from, that there are these things that we can agree to disagree on each man before the Lord. Um, just what would some of those issues be, yep. especially in a Canadian context?
6: Yeah, I noticed that, uh, I think John Mahaffey had spoken about the fact that, you know, there's a closer relationship between uh, believers than we've had in the past, and, and I would applaud that as well, although we wouldn't always applaud that. Um, And and the reason I want to say that is because sometimes it's simply the result or or the fruit of that we don't do our theological study well. We're not in the Scripture. We have not an understanding of what the Scripture says in regards to, Don had mentioned baptism, and if I might speak to that issue for just a moment, Um, I recall at one point in time in the Gospel Coalition, I won't mention the names, but there were a number of articles between two brothers uh, one was on the Baptistic side, and one was on the pedo-Baptist side, and it was a vigorous debate online. And people were saying, "What? Well, I wonder if the Gospel Coalition is coming apart at the seams." And I remember that quite clearly, and and I thought it was a great modeling that there are some issues, and I, I know that. I'm going to say the name. Mark Driscoll used to talk about an open hand and a closed hand. I think we ought to have three different hands. One is open, one is closed. Those are the things we fight for, and these are the things that are open-handed. Some are what we might call in a guarded hand. They were concerned that when a person holds something, that there's a trajectory that leads into some rather nasty places. But we would say, yet there's still our Christian brother or sister. So, for instance, I would say the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins, to not only pay the penalty for our sins, but to also appease the wrath of the Father. See, I would say that's a closed-handed issue. We fight for that, and we fight for that with all our hearts and lives. And if someone says to us, I don't agree with that, at that point in time, we say, look, you're not my brother or sister in Christ, Now, John Mahaffey and I have this ongoing thing about amillennialism and premillennialism, and I'm so glad I'm sitting next to Don Carson, uh, because Don Carson is a premillennialist, not a dispensational premillennialist, I think a historic premillennialist too. Am I right? You're a historic premillennialist? You want to talk about that? Are you telling me or asking me? (laughs) Don, I would never tell you anything... (laughs) Let's just go with it for argument's sake. Shall we do that? Yeah. And I've explained to John Mahaffey that he doesn't, he has a problem. He's an amillennialist. And I've explained to him that the great argument against amillennialism is that, you know, awe, agnostic, atheist, all the A words at the beginning are very bad words. Don't have that. Now, I do know, however, having said that, that it's an open-handed issue Yet, having said that, at the same time, I would be more than prepared to vigorously debate with John Mahaffey on that issue because I do think it changes the way in which we read some Old Testament (laughs) texts. Amen. (laughs) Right? However, Step
2: step outside.
6: (laughs) However, I think, John, that we might say to ourselves, in no way hinders the fellowship of the gospel. So in the past there were whole denominations that said if you did not hold to a dispensational premillennial position you may not be a part of this. And, uh, n- but however, let me say this, what's happened is I regularly now hear people say well I'm just a pan-millennialist, I believe everything's going to pan out in the end. But what they really mean to say I've never bothered to look into the second coming of our Lord and Savior. And I've not dealt with the texts that are involved in that but let's just get along, even though we never talk about the details of the coming of the Lord. And I don't think that's good. So I think what the Gospel Coalition has done, from my vantage point, is that the Gospel Coalition has said, we're going to identify the center. And we we'll say, this is the gospel. However, there are issues wherein in which honest Christians disagree with one another. And as we do so, we do so with an understanding that it has not hindered our fellowship with one another at all. I think that's what I want to say. It's great. Any of you other guys want to chime in on that, secondary issues?
0: Yannick.
3: One thing I think that the Gospel Coalition did is that uh, it helped us to see how much the center is large, how much we can go deeper in theology. Because before Gospel Coalition, we would meet to, we would do, in Quebec at least, we would do things together on our weakest or smallest uh, um, common denominator So we do uh, uh, preaching uh, the gospel, something like that, or or evangelism, and that's it. But now we can uh, come together and go deeper in theology, and that's new, and that's wonderful.
1: I think that Yannick is bang on on that one. That is to say, um, there has been, there still is in some circles, a lot of assumption that the gospel is a pretty small thing that tips you into the kingdom. And then all the life transformation stuff is done by our discipleship courses, you know, 16 Ways to be Happy Though Married and other courses like that. And, 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 and yet instead, when you examine how things are written up in the New Testament, the gospel is the big category under which discipleship comes. The gospel isn't everything. The gospel's not law, for example. But the gospel is a huge category. All, have do, all you have to do is do a word study on gospel and related verb. And it's a huge category in, 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 in the Bible. And, and under this comes a whole lot of other things. And, and Yannick is right. You get the understanding of what the gospel is really clearly in your mind. Then it becomes a huge controlling base of virtually all that's important, all of it funneling into Jesus and his cross and resurrection.
2: Yeah. Paul, can I just make a comment there? Because John mentioned penal substitutionary atonement a, mo- a moment ago. And I, I think we need to be very open and frank. There are people who hold to the evangelical label who have moved away from that position or are moving away from it. And, and that is so central to what we believe. And so I think TGC has had a great influence on the broader evangelical movement as a whole to bring us back to some of these basic fundamental gospel truths in which there has been theological drift over the years. And so I, if, if, if what we can see happen in, in our particular setting here, in our nation, is to see some of these denominations and churches Uh, realize the drift that they're in and have an influence to bring them back so they understand the core. That's going to be an incredible, uh, powerful influence in our our land.
1: Could I add another two cents to that? I agree with John 100%. That's exactly right. But we mustn't think that we're in an age where everything's going downhill. We're in danger of thinking that. And as a result, uh, leading ourselves by the nose into depression. Um, we've, we've been warned against that by two or three of the speakers, including Mark, just before supper. Um, it is true that all kinds of social markers are heading the wrong way from a Christian point of view. But at the same time, what that has meant has been a lot of nominal Christians have fallen off the peg. And frankly, it's a blessed subtraction. It's, it's, it's a little clearer who a Christian is. And meanwhile, there's a rising generation of people, especially under 40 or thereabouts, who, who have more of a Calebite spirit. Give me this mountain. How do I plant a church in a, in, in a, in a multiracial society? I'd like to go to the Muslim world. I mean, th- th- this is really remarkable. I've been teaching in one context or another for 40 years, and uh, I'm, I'm almost as blessed as John Mahaffey. And... and, um, and, and <laughs> And, and, and in that time, I've seen waves of students come through. You, you know, with, 20 years ago, there was the Toronto Blessing Wave. Yeah. This was not my favorite. Um, <laughs> but but it, it went through, and then there was the, the sort of emerging church wave, and the attitude with that wave of students coming through was, shove over you guys, and we'll show you how it's done. This new generation coming through, it's been going on for 12 or 15 years now, is the best generation I've ever seen. They they come from all kinds of screwball backgrounds and who knows what, broken homes and all the rest, but they're serious about the gospel. They want to be mentored. They want to do accurate exegesis. They want to do evangelize. This is a great time to be alive. It's, it's It's a great time. If I can
6: piggyback on that, just something about the, uh, first of all, to say something, if, if, if people in this room have never read Russell Moore, and I know that he's speaking to a decidedly American context, uh, yet I think Canadians would be well-served to read his stuff. Uh, one of the things that he is doing is he is inviting us to see that in the past, we had a culture that would have agreed with us on ethical issues. We would have said yes, but they would have disagreed with us on the gospel. But we felt somehow comforted by the fact that ethically they were on the same side as we are. So they said, you know, yes to, you know, you shouldn't have sex before marriage, and a husband and wife should live together. But they said, no, Jesus did not die for your sins. And we somehow felt comforted by that and said, well, that was a Christian nation. And now things have changed. So now the lines have become very clear. The other thing I would want to say is especially about a Canadian context. You know, it all depends on how you read the numbers, The evangelical movement, and depending on always how you define evangelicalism, but if you define it in some broad category, it has been making modest gains in Canada. It has not been in decline. What has been in decline is that the mainline churches have virtually collapsed around our ears. What we have seen is the utter destruction of liberal theology. It has shown itself completely unable to handle the present situation. And so what that does is it encourages me never be afraid to boldly proclaim the gospel, to say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel continues to win. And one more thing, and that is to say, if you want hope in this country, learn to begin to minister to new immigrants into this land. I want to tell you, uh, I, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry 35 years. And the last 15 years in a church that was very Multicultural. And I want to say that what I found out is that if I want to minister to somebody born in Canada, it takes 10, 15, maybe 20 gospel presentations to get a proper hearing i get a Mandarin person just off the boat, one gospel presentation, and they're ready to say yes to Christ. And I've seen that over and over again. And I would simply say, if you want hope, look at the immigration process and begin to target those who are new in this country. I think we're going to see a phenomenal result, and we may be on the verge of something truly wonderful. It's great, brother. Thank you.
0: Steve, I am, you can correct this if it's wrong. Uh, uh, my understanding is that Newfoundlanders wouldn't, the, the general Newfoundlander would not look terribly warmly toward someone from Quebec. Is that, is that accurate? I'm not talking about you. I, the, but I, have, I have a purpose in mind. this.
5: <laughs> would that be generally true? I think there's a sense of uh, some, some bitternesses that I think go back back yeah. and forth. But again, you know, he- hearing what my brother said, this is the beauty. I know in my ministry in Prince Edward Island, and even as I've moved back to Newfoundland, uh, <laughs> some of the greatest relationships I have are with brothers and sisters from Quebec. And um, I, lo- I love that about the gospel. Uh, and going back to earlier in regards to all of this, I think, which leads in somewhat to answer your question in regards to tertiary issues, secondary issues, what everything TGC stands for in regards to denominationalism, what I have seen in Atlantic Canada is because there was a time when denominationalism was you went to your denominational school, you spent all your time in your denomination, you made massive assumptions about what you are and what everybody else is. And because of our culture and the collapse and because being a Christian now means something and costs something, You have to drop these assumptions. So you can't assume because it's a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian. I was raised in a Baptist world and I was told what to think as a Baptist. And I was told what Presbyterians think for them. And I was told what Pentecostals think. So give you a case in point, I go back to Newfoundland. I call the pastor of the second largest Pentecostal church in the city. And ask him if he'll go for coffee. He invites me to his church. Uh, gives me a wonderful tour of their brand new facility. It's beautiful. It's about four or five years old. Beautiful facility. He br- brings me into his office. Now, I went in there thinking he's a Pentecostal, as I define one from my experience in Newfoundland. When I enter his office, strange fire is on his desk.
0: The book or actual
5: flames? <laughs> 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 Maybe a little bit of both. Um, but Strange Fire is on, on his desk. Follow Me is behind him. Prodigal God is on his bookshelf. Uh, the Intolerance of Tolerance is on his bookshelf. I look around, and it's a who's who of everybody I would read. And so I, I realized, Steve, this is not what you're used to. And we got into a conversation in which he shared with me. He's preaching through the book of Romans and he's preaching through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and he's asking for prayer because he said, I'm being attacked every Sunday that I'm a Calvinist. And he's a Pentecostal. Um, and, and we have become wonderful friends and brothers in Christ. We go for lunch together, we've prayed together, we've talked about our families together. And I think that has been one of the beautiful things. We've made assumptions about denominationalism and what it means, and we've made assumptions about the gospel. And by getting together, by focusing on the gospel, seeing the breadth, the depth, and, and exegetical preaching, expositional preaching, I have found that, my, now, we still differ on certain areas, but they are not areas that affect the gospel. And we have a lot more in common in our desire and our pastoring heart than I ever thought possible. And that's been beautiful for me, especially in the world I was raised, across, across the board. And Quebec, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you, you would be happy to have a
0: guy, I'm not, but I'm saying this is where I think the gospel is real. You would be happy to have a Yannick coming to preach Absolutely. At, at a TGC Atlantic, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I think that's what maybe some of the strategic things we can be thinking about is to model how the gospel really does change the way we relate to each other. I, I could look at my brother and think, you know, I'm only going to interpret you in political terms. Um, and Yannick and I have talked politics, and that's okay. Um, but the foundation of our relationship, being the gospel, changes all of that. To a, that's not even a secondary issue. That's so far down, um, it's it's not even on the table. Uh, yeah, go ahead,
3: Yannick. Just uh, to add one more thing, I think that sometimes, uh, as a church, historically, we we've missed some transformation that were coming in the church that were in fact coming from the culture, and part of what we're seeing now is is in fact fruit of the web and mm-hmm. such an openness between cultures and, and that's good that's wonderful I, and i think that part of what we're seeing right now is is a fruit from that and, and i think that we need to to plunge even deeper in the gospel to understand that it's sad that the culture had to change to help us bring down some walls Whereas the younger generations, they don't, they don't understand those historical walls that we had in between us. Okay, so we, we missed this one. The culture is changing. We, the, the walls are falling down. Now we need to, to plunge deeper in the gospel and understand that those walls were not supposed to be there. Some are supposed to be there where, where we need that hand closed. But we need to go further than that. I think, with the gospel, and the gospel will help us to have churches where there is a true gospel culture in the church and in between us. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, very much. That was very helpful. Thank you. Um, Kind of the last topic I want to touch on here is theological education, so you've been involved as an educator you have a heart for that in the West? Um, maybe just speak to the, the landscape of Canada, what your hopes and dreams are, and uh, if others want to chime in there as well.
4: Yeah, one of the common themes as we've been talking is is the great need for a renewal in theological education in Canada. And uh, in my church and in, in the circles in Alberta where I'm at, um, what's happening is because of a lack of schools uh, that... We find that are being resonant with this this awakening, this this gospel-centered awakening. That what happens is then our, our our young men who would like to be pastors they're going to the U.S. And so when what happens when people leave and go to the U.S. is you it's called the brain drain. And and so then you you have the best and brightest that go to the U.S. Um, I anyways. I won't say anything further. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> you won't see me ever again. Um, anyways, but the the real challenge though is is for uh e- even these young guys that go away to seminary in the US is to have them come back because it's difficult. It's difficult for them both financially, they go into debt. They're going to these schools in the states, and then to find placement back in churches back in Canada. And so that's another thing. And if there's professors here at schools, or if you're a pastor here, it's something to be praying about and thinking about. Is the great need for theological education in Canada. Uh, one of the common themes we've we, all us guys have been talking about is is just where do we send guys to be trained and and maybe there's maybe there's some different solutions to that. maybe it means more of a hybrid training that is church based or maybe it means you know still some renewal in some of the seminaries. Um, I can think you mentioned the penal substitution issue both of you did. Um, you know, I, I think of a, of a Bible college a seminary in our city <clears throat> Excuse me, and deny penal substitution in the classroom. Uh, they wouldn't in their statement, but in their teaching, they're denying that. So then it, it's just not a safe place to be sending guys to get trained. So that's a great burden, and I think something we need to be continuing to pray for as we see God awakening, doing this work across Canada, that we see these structures, even our schools, be transformed as well and pray to that end. That's great.
0: Any closing thoughts from any of you? Something you're dying to get out before I cut you off? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'm
2: i game for a debate with John at any time about future things. We
0: are not interested in watching you two debate your eschatology. <laughs> We've had to do that at all the lunches. and. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, would you please thank these brothers uh, for their participation here?